Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, Ben. Hey, Christy. Hello. Hey. So, uh, I've been sick for five days. Mm, Yeah. Sick. I can hear it. Can you hear it? Yeah. Yeah. This is like best. This is like the top of the cliff for me. I go downhill. I I start out sounding like this, and then by the end of the day, I can't talk. Um, And I was reflecting on uh, getting sick, and uh, I realized I tend to get sick after like really big events or things I have to do, and then my right. body's like, I'm out! <laughs> my immune system right. like, shuts done. down. Put me to bed. Yeah. Um, and so I was wondering how... Uh, I was wondering, there's like three categories, I think, of people. One is like, you get sick, and everybody knows it, and you like talk about it all the time, and you're kind of like mm-hmm. the most miserable patient. <laughs> Posted on social media. The second is, yeah. The second <laughs> is, you get sick, and you just power through... And nobody really knows about it because you just buck up, suck it up, and you uh-huh. and you take as little time off as possible. And the third is you never get sick really, uh, and like you have an indestructible immune system. <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of the first category <laughs> as we're yeah. talking about it on a podcast. Yeah, I just right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a verbal processor of all my big. Fe- I have big feelings, Christy. I could be yes. an appendix in your demon paper. It's okay. I got big it's, feelings love you. and I I need to talk about them in order to like <laughs> work them out. And so I'm pretty sure my family's tired of me talking about uh how awful I feel. But um Christy, where are you in those three? Do you do you recognize yourself uh, in those three categories? Yeah. I'm like but I'm a mixture of like one and two. Where like if I if I vent like if I'm sick, just a cold, I just power through. But if that thing stays around mm-hmm. or something like that, then I feel like I'm like, okay, I need someone to like pay attention to me. <laughs> yeah, I'd pamper you a bit. Yeah. yeah. Or like when we drove whatever 17 hours in the car and then I got COVID and we turned around and drove back. I posted that sucker. That was the worst, Christy. It was the worst. <laughs> so it depends on what it is, I think. Yeah. <laughs> ben, where are you? You know, I don't get sick a lot. Uh, You're three? I really don't. You're I, Iron Man? I don't know. I, I really, like, people around me, my whole family will get sick, um, and I typically just don't pick it up. I don't pick up the things that are going around. I've never had COVID that I know Come of, on. you know? Um, like, I typically just don't get stuff that goes around. Mm-hmm. I love but, that. Uh, I do, too. <laughs> because, um, because I don't like being sick, obviously. Uh, who doesn't? Um, but I do, you know, I do like to... Uh, when I do get sick, though, it's interesting because I think when I do get sick, if it's mild, I do the power through thing. I'm just mm-hmm. like, this is just a stuffy nose. This is no big deal. I think I've lived with like allergies for long enough to be just like, this is mildly annoying, but I can do this. But then like when I do get legit sick, I am just, I am out. I am out. I'm miserable. Yeah. And, and everybody knows it. You're um, either healthy or on death's door. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> very extreme. I, I'm like a binary sick person. I, 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 I'm a one or the other, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that's okay, me. well, take your vitamin C, Matt. Uh, yeah. My emergency. I took it. Emergency. I took oh, it yes. This morning. And I'm, yes. I'm really hopeful. This that's is day five. I'm really hopeful that, uh, well, see, they tested me for strep and I had strep and I was taking penicillin and I wasn't feeling any better. And I called my sister yesterday, who's a doctor, an MD, and she's like, well, you probably have a secondary viral infection. Yeah. So I just kind of have to let this thing, you know, work its way through. But yeah. I got things to do, Christy. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I got stuff. I got meetings today. I've got, we have a harvest party at our church tomorrow. I have friends uh, coming in town to play music at the harvest party, staying with Ooh, me. Ooh, fun. Yeah, it will be fun as long as I don't give them the black, you know, give them the black death. <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> Are you going to wear a costume to this harvest party? You know, oh. I don't... I feel like you're a costume person. I would oh. be if I had... I think that's spoken in faith there, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you all are costume people. <laughs> uh, you know, if I if I planned ahead enough, I would be. But um, I'm just hanging on this week. Okay. Just hanging on. So if you were healthy... Like the whole Tebby family would dress up and like match something. Mm. Like if you if you were to wear a costume for your whole family to be a character, what would it be right now? No, our, the whole the Incredibles. F- yeah, <laughs> duh. Remember that movie? Of course, because <laughs> it's Sharon, Mrs. Incredible. She is That's Mrs. why. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, you know what? It's funny. Um, our co-pastor last year at this harvest party, uh, Spencer and his wife. Uh, I, did you ever watch Arrested Development? No. Okay. He, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a character, there's a mom and a son, and they go to this weekly, or they go to this yearly thing called Mother Boy. <laughs> it's basically a dance for old women and their grown-up sons to, like, dance together. Yeah. And uh, Mallory and Spencer went as that old woman and that son to oh, the harvest funny. party. It was pretty funny. They, they, they kind of do that every year. They, they're, like, big dress-up people. They're always taking yeah. notes about costumes. Um. But yeah, I'm. I've. Uh, my wife really likes kind of dressing up for Halloween, but I. It just is always an afterthought for me, and so yeah. typically I'll just. I mean, I've got you know like enough uh, priest shirts in the closet. Maybe <laughs> I could just go as a priest. You know what I mean? That'd be. <laughs> but that would, would be just change because actually I'm a priest. Big so. change. Yeah, take Deb to like like Goodwill. Uh huh. And you guys take a date. Uh-huh. And you gotta pick out a costume. Pick out a costume. And I'm then just, wear it to dinner. It'd be so fun. And I, wear it to harvest party. I think I'd be happy if somebody picked out a costume for me. I'd be like, okay, I'll wear that. But I'm just no good at like thinking of funny ideas for mm-hmm. costumes. Like some people are so funny and creative, you know, where you're like you laugh out loud when you see their costume. Um, I just can't think of stuff like that. That's you. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be my boss. That's you. <laughs> I'm see, not even joking. See, I know. I'm like, joking. That's like a, a weird, meeting. funny idea. Yeah. Halloween is on a Monday this year, and uh-huh. I'm like, oh, I'm dressing up oh to, the, to the staff party as my boss. Oh, that is going to be, be so funny. Yeah, you're yeah. you're great at that kind of your stuff. Your new boss. My new boss, yeah. At, at your new job, okay. <laughs> She's been in India for like two weeks, and okay. she'll yeah. come back to me being her. <laughs> great. Are you <laughs> disorienting? Wait, are you also doing I your, don't you have a Halloween 5K? Wow. Oh, in your neighborhood? Well, you know. <laughs> There's a 5K for 5K every holiday. For everything. Know, Columbus for everything. Day 5K. Yeah. Turkey 5K, <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> we are those people. I make all my whole family dress up. I invite my neighbors. 
We all run a 5K and then we come back in for muffins costumes. and coffee yeah. in our costumes. Is it is it Halloween 5K? Is it really? No, but now you're giving me an idea. Okay. <laughs> Taking notes. <laughs> There's at least Taking two notes. holiday 5Ks. Am I right? Yeah. 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 Christmas, Christmas and then St. Patrick's Day. And St. Patty's oh. Day. All right. Well, yeah. Um, yep. There's there's a plethora wow. of holidays on which to run. I know. I could do more. And your neighbors mm-hmm. will love you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Well, speaking of uh, loving things, um, we... Good. Seriously. That was, good, that was a great transition. That was a wow. good... Yes. Well, um This is incredible. <laughs> Folks, listeners. Speaking of is, holidays... This is the top... The, Cream of the <laughs> cream of the crop here. Um, I I do not like, and I'm not saying I was nervous. I don't oh. like. We do these podcasts; it's super fun, mm-hmm. and we get to in, like mm-hmm. interview different people. And I was super excited about this one. Yeah, um, why? We're talking about uh, Sarah Bessie, right? A rhythm of prayer. Why were you excited about this one? Yeah, because I follow her, and because you wonder sometimes, like the person that you read their books or follow their mm-hmm. posts or whatever, like who are they really? Yeah, and. Uh, and she's the real deal. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So kind, thoughtful, and like honest. And I, I, that's who she is. And so yeah. it was fun to interview her. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I, I, uh, I really enjoyed this one too, just uh, being able to talk to people about um, uh, prayer. So, I mean, we talked about her book, which is obviously like a collection of prayers by a variety of um, different, different authors. Including some folks that we've had on the podcast, um, mm-hmm. Lisa Sharon Harper, Marlena Graves, etc. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I like that we talked not just about the prayers or the content of the book, but we we talked a lot about prayer uh, itself and um, sort of the the I don't know. Most of us have kind of a complicated relationship with prayer. Um, you know, it's kind yeah. of. Something that uh, evokes guilt, maybe for some of us, and all of that kind of thing. So I was really appreciative to hear uh, Sarah just reflect on her her experience in prayer, kind of growing up Pentecostal, uh, even, and, and expressing some appreciation for some of what that uh, taught her and gave to her, right. even while sort of needing knowing that she needed to move beyond that tradition uh, uh, herself. And so, anyway, I just appreciate people like that who can look back on uh, experiences in their lives that may have been hurtful and may not have been all good, you know, 100% good, but to look back on those things with appreciation um, while they also have grown beyond uh, those things. That just, to me, is like a hallmark of uh, maturity and someone that I can learn from, wisdom. Um, yeah. And so she she shared a lot about that. That was really meaningful for me to hear in this interview. Yep. That's good. All right. Yeah. Well, get ready for some Sarah. Here she comes. Sarah Bessie joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. She's the author of best-selling books, uh, including Jesus Feminist, Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Involving Faith, and Miracles and Other Reasonable Things. And the book we're chatting about today, A Rhythm of Prayer, A Collection of Meditations for Renewal. Sarah also co-founded Evolving Faith, and she is the co-host of the Evolving Faith Podcast. She lives in Canada 
with a gaggle of kiddos and her husband, Alberta, Canada. Sarah, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Is, uh, is gaggle from the bio? I love that. I no. love that word, a gaggle <laughs> of kids. Did you I, just make, did you? How many is gaggle? Yeah. Well, how many kids? I don't know if four Sarah. counts as a gaggle or not, but four. Well, I've got a gaggle. Yeah, I've got a gaggle as well, Sarah. Okay. Yeah. There you so, go. Listen, what does six mean? That's a gaggle. That's a that's, gaggle that's and a half. A, that's a horde. You have a horde of children. <laughs> don't they call like a, a group of crows is called like a murder of crows? A murder so maybe of it's crows. like a murder of children. Oh, no. A murder of yes. Six is a murder of children. Uh, <laughs> great. Speaking of oh, murdering man. children, we're gonna chat uh, yeah, about uh, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. We're chatting about uh, Sarah, this book you've written um, that's gotten a lot of attention and acclaim for good reason about prayer. And it's a a collection of prayers, meditations, um, and little uh, maybe prose and some poetry. Um, maybe start us off. Why? Where did the idea of this book come from, and why was it important for you to be a part of editing and collating this? Well, it was honestly it kind of came about. I think rather organically. I mean, I was surprised at how often people wanted to talk about prayer. Um, I have always loved to pray. Um, prayer has been a huge part of not only my spiritual life, but, um, even a lot of my writing, you know, it'll show up at the end of a lot of my books. There'll be often like a, you know, a benediction at the end. And, um, I think in some of the spaces where I, you know, kind of find myself that can feel surprising to some folks, because I think that there's some sort of, you know, kind of idea that, you know, if you've gone through an experience of a faith shift, or um, maybe what now I think a word that we've all kind of beat to death is deconstruction, you know, you've (laughs) gone through, you know, something like that, there's almost um, this sense of like, well, do you still pray? Or do you still what is your relationship with prayer? Um, After you've maybe uh, pulled a few threads, of, of that out. And so it kind of uh, arose from that, honestly. It was in conversations with folks, you know, that just would come across my path wanting to talk about prayer, why we pray, how we pray. Um, and it kind of came across my um, my desk or, or came across my, my heart at the time. Um, I think because uh, I was right in the throes of just after losing a, a dear friend um, who had passed away. And... Um, there was almost this sense of wanting to put my hand to something. And I'd always wanted to write about prayer, but I didn't know how to do it in a way that wouldn't feel incredibly prescriptive um, mm-hmm. or wouldn't feel like, well, here's here's a, you don't know what you think about prayer anymore, or maybe you've lost the old pathways of prayer that used to feel very familiar to you, um, you know, whatever else that may be. Uh, so here's a nice new tidy set of answers. Go ahead and, and just follow these. And that was never really my heart or kind of my my posture in those conversations. But after experiencing that loss and after wanting to kind of put my hand to something and knowing I wanted to write about prayer, I had this, um, this dawning realization that this is a thing you can do in community, that this isn't necessarily a thing that you yeah. need to do by yourself or that you are walking alone through. And so for me, it was just, I pulled together, you know, some of these incredible teachers and leaders and writers and, and ministers and just said, um, you know, with a very light hand, let's let's talk about prayer. Let's write about prayer. Let's even embody prayer and show what we're praying for and, and not in a um, prescriptive, rule-following 
acronym creating sort of way, but more in the sense of like, you know, possibility and embodiment and bringing your full self to prayer. Um, and it was, it was such a gift to me at a time of deep grief to just really spend time in the prayers of the people and to begin mm. to kind of explore that together. And so when the book came together from that experience, it actually felt almost like its own kind of embodiment of what we were trying to communicate of just like, look, you're, you have a prayer circle, you have people you're in this with. Um, and that was, I think, really helpful for me. I mean, hopefully mm. uh, it is for other people too. <laughs> for sure. I think for sure it is. I'm really glad you wrote the book. Um, I think many of us have complicated relationships with prayer. Um, we kind of get disappointed. We feel guilty. We have inadequacy. We feel fear. You refer to prayer in this book as an act of resistance. And I'm curious if you would just say more about that. Sure. I, um, I come from like a charismatic tradition. Um, and from mm -hmm. like a with some roots in Pentecostalism. And so I'm super happy with big, hairy language. Like I, <laughs> the more it sounds like something a sweaty tent revival preacher would say, the more I'm just like, yes, please, more of that. <laughs> and so there's this sense, um, you know, when it comes to resistance, I think sometimes um, when it comes to prayer, uh, there's this sense of um, apocalypse almost mm. of a lot of the days that we're in right now. And when I say apocalypse, I don't mean it necessarily in that tent revival sort of way that maybe we conjure out in our mind from, you know, like, you know, movies or, or you know, history books and things like that, but more from the sense of um, the true meaning of like an unveiling, you know, or a revelation, right? The things that have been hidden and secret have been dragged, sometimes kicking and screaming into the light. Um, there is this sense of the, the secrets that have been kept um, are not cannot be kept any longer. And we have had this real reckoning, I feel, not just in the church, but in almost every area of public life and even in our personal lives, this sense of like apocalypse, of revelation, of, of things being, being in the light. And so that's where the aspect of, of resistance comes in, because I don't really know what else to call some of the things that a lot of us, I think especially, you know, a lot of our leaders and people in churches or in parachurch organizations, there's this sense of um, an understanding that we are at a powers and principalities moment, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. You know, and I don't know really what other language works when you're talking about things like, you know, racism and homophobia and, and Christian nationalism and, and these big things that are kind of grappling with in our churches in very real lived lives. Like we're not talking about mm. out in the world, like now, mm -hmm. like this is the thing that we're dealing with. And so that's where things like prayer come in as an act of resistance. It's, you know, it's a way of bringing all of the things that you are hoping for and longing for, um, the things that you uh, love about the gospel, that you love about the story of Jesus and bringing that together with one another um, to contend for hope, you know, to contend for justice, to contend for and and do some of that work, um, you know, in your own heart and in the hearts and minds of each other through prayer. It's it's one more way that we have of embodying, I think, that hope. Um, and so that's, that's I think, a, a long circuitous route to an answer there, Christy. <laughs> and now a word from a sponsor. All right, let's get back into our conversation. You know, a lot of us think about prayer 
like in in the terms like you were talking about, Christy, where it's like prayer is like this thing that I should do or this thing that I I sort of do when when I feel great about God, like I pray, or, you know that that kind of thing. But um, you're talking about praying through whatever happens to be happening in our souls, praying through whatever happens to be happening in the world. Um, and the book is organized for you into the three sections of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, which I think Brueggemann uses that. I've heard Richard Rohr use that terminology. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of Brueggemann, I think he uses the word resistance a lot as well. Um, and I wonder if you can, I wonder if you can maybe say a bit more about um, why you organize the book in that way, and what, what's the significance of those three words for you in terms of your life in prayer. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. I think that that's one of the things that I um, was even almost a mirroring of uh, similar experiences that I've had, honestly, when it comes not just to prayer, but even towards a life of faith or even your understanding of things like uh, justice and theology and, and politics and neighborliness and, you know, the ways that we show up in the world. There's this sense of... Um, we almost mystify the experience of losing your answers and losing your certainty. Um, And oftentimes when that happens, when you kind of come to that threshold or you come to that crossroad, uh, which happens to pretty much all of us, you know, at some point or another, uh, unless you're really, really good at self-deception, which I am. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, almost as good at that as I am at like being... Like, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I know. But if it it was, I would get one for that or for (laughs) passive aggression. (laughs) It's Uh, fine. But there's more this sense of um, if I've lost these old pathways or I feel this sense, um, then I guess that means I don't get to pray anymore. Right. Right. And and you can have this sense of, oh, well, because I don't necessarily even believe the same things I used to believe about God, about signs, wonders, miracles, about the intervention of God in our lives, about the care of God in our actual real walking around lives. Um, and so for me, I felt like when that happened for me, it was profoundly disorienting. It did feel chaotic. Um, I worried that I was losing God. I knew that I was losing community. I knew that I was losing you know, it, it's a tremendous season of loss and, and it's scary, right? It's it's a very fearful time. And it's also deeply isolating and it is profoundly unshepherded um, as a season of life. And I think we see a lot of people within our churches and within our communities who feel that sense of, well, if you lose your certainty, if you lose your answers, if you lose the, the or, or, or simply need to set them down for a, a time or forever, there's this sense of, um, well, now I'm on my own, right? And so I think that that's where I really began to find, um, for me personally in my own life, new or ancient even, um, pathways of prayer, that I began to realize the Bible was way more honest about prayer than churchy people are. You know, that you get to yes. bring your full self to to prayer, that it's not just a matter of acronyms and ticking boxes and, you know, a newspaper in one hand and a, you know, journal in the other or needing to have a particular amount of time at a quiet time in the morning or, you know, and again, if those things are serving you, great. Like nobody wants mm-hmm. to take anything precious away from anyone. But mm-hmm. more this sense of like, Gosh, you get to bring your rage 
and you get to bring your anger and you get to bring your your joy and your gratitude, even your silence and your longings that are just beyond words that you get to bring, you know, your crises and you get to bring, you know, your patience and your doubt, your questions, you know, everything about what makes you human belongs at this altar. And editing that or pretending that that's not true or that somehow that doesn't count um, doesn't serve anyone, right? It, it certainly doesn't. And so I think that's where some of that that notion of like, look, you're going to have seasons of, of disorientation. You know, you're going to have a beginning place that you started from. Um, you're going to have seasons in your life where you feel profoundly disoriented. And then you're going to have seasons in your life where you feel like, okay, you know what? I got my feet under me for a little while here. I, I love the work I'm doing. I feel the sense of this, of the spirit in this. And, and even though it's different than maybe what I would have expected or what I was taught, I'm ready to reimagine that with the Holy Spirit, um, that there's room in prayer for all of those things. Um, there's also a lot of room for when you don't want to pray or you don't know how, or you don't even know what that means, um, that the presence of, of God is even in those places. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Well, I, gosh, there's so much to respond to in what you said, Sarah. And um, mm-hmm. I, I want to hear more from you about how you learned how to pray. Um, I was in my mid-30s before I realized that I'd never been taught to pray. I remember reading in the gospel when the disciples were like, teach us to pray, Jesus. And I remember the spirit in me being like, I've never asked somebody to teach me to do to, to pray, right? I was able to get a seminary degree without ever having to learn how to pray, <laughs> uh, which is maybe part of the problem. So maybe then, maybe just share a bit on who, who's, been, who's been your teacher in prayer? How have you learned how to pray? And then maybe in compiling the contributions of this book uh, over the last several years, what what did you learn about prayer that you didn't know before? Oh, those are all really good questions. Um, when it comes to who taught me how to pray, um, you know, my family was our first generation believers. Um, so the part of Canada where I'm from um, and the kind of cultural background of my life and, and childhood even. Um, it wasn't my parents' generation or my generation who kind of were the post-Christian ones. It was like, I think my great-grandparents were the last generation who were really in, in church, you know, in terms of like, if you have a Christian heritage. And and so the notion of like being in church and having kind of like this aspect, it just, churches were empty. Nobody went to church. It was, wasn't a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we had this radical sort of come to Jesus thing happen as part of the charismatic renewal movement in the late 70s and and 80s, um, you know, stretching into the revivals of the early 90s, which is a whole bag of trauma we can unpack at another time, I'm sure. But there's this larger sense of um, it turned our life upside down. And we were so sincere. And um, and in, I'm so grateful for all the ways that it has felt like we kind of grew up in the faith together because often we just we didn't know what we didn't know, you know. And so it, there was a real innocence and even a sweetness to prayer. I think at that season of our life, like I have really, I mean, again, a, a lot of the the spaces where I came up and you know these small happy clappy churches in Western Canada. There was this sense of um, it was really deeply influenced by the Word of Faith movement 
by the prosperity gospel, um, the vineyard revivals that were happening in the late 80s and early 90s. And so a lot of the ways that I was taught to pray um, were really enmeshed in this in this culture, right? There was this, this you, it, it's very, um, the word control comes to mind, but I, I don't necessarily know that that was everyone's intent. Right. I, I think that you can say that there was a, a really, you know, for the most part, there were a lot of people with very, you know, clear intentions, you know, in terms of, of the purity of their their heart or their yearning. And they were hoping for that to be the, the case. But there was this sense of like, if this, then that, you know, if you pray this way and if you do it this way and if you confess this way and if you have faith, you know, that, that you will get the outcomes that you want because that's God's heart for you. And yeah. there are some gifts to that, learning that way of praying. And, and that was, you know, served me mostly. And then it all of a sudden didn't, right? Because like a lot of people, you find yourself as part of the company of people who have unanswered prayers, and the answer and the response oftentimes at that point is, well, God is good and God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wise and whole and your soul and body to prosper even as your soul prospers, all that stuff. Um, and so it's not God, so it must be you. Clearly, you've got, you've got some issues. You've got sin in the camp. You've got, you know, uh, issues with faith. You've got, you know, like there's things going on. And so you're kind of left with your brokenness or your sickness or your hurt or your longings and now you've got like a lot of shame you know kind of on top of it and so that was very similar experience for me I mean you know we I was going through kind of my first major season of of questioning and doubt um, you know in terms of my faith but that was coincided with um, you know some really deep personal loss and miscarriages my husband and I were experiencing and it was like well I guess I don't get to pray that way anymore this way of certainty, this way of understanding the gospel, this way of understanding God, this weird kind of cosmic vending machine puppet thing that I kind of have built out and called prayer turns out isn't serving me super well. And so I lost prayer for a good long time. And when I relearned how to pray, um, a lot of it came through the words and prayers of others, which was in my tradition, something that we kind of looked down on. Right. right, we had kind of looked like his spontaneous prayer is clearly the most holy sort of prayer, the most heartfelt sort of prayer, and so finding um, my way kind of through the back door of more liturgical churches and their ways of praying, I was shocked to discover that you can pray like this, that you yeah. can you can acknowledge things like waiting and longing, that you can acknowledge your sorrows, that you can. Um, sit in the presence of God without a whole lot of words or answers, or even take refuge and rest in the words of others. And so that's when I began to learn how to pray, you know, in in other ways, right? And that's when I began to be like, oh my gosh, like there's this whole world of prayer and and ways of praying that are not they're new to me, but boy, they are not new to the church. And there is there are these these pathways that I can walk on, and there's a lot more companions, um, and I'm not as lonely as maybe I thought that I was. And so that's where those sorts of things began to sort of open up and begin to say, oh, okay, you know what? It turns out um, that that these movements have prayer at the, at the center of them, that these things matter. And that's where things like the prayer circles of my childhood and my youth, and even that, that deep belief in the goodness of God has endured. Even as you add in and, 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 and learn about, you know, all the different ways and methods of prayer even the methods of silence, um, the paths, the ways that we embody prayer, you know, beyond words. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like it's, there's been a lot of different teachers over, 
over the years. And I think that some of the best teachers that I've had um, have oftentimes been the grandmothers and the children in my life Mm -hmm. um, who simply pray and and get on with it. I remember um, writing a a story about my son, Joe, and I think it was in my book, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things. Um, He was really little at the time. He's probably about six and seven. And I remember him teaching me about prayer because he was, this is a bit longer than you probably need, guys, if you need to cut this or whatever, (laughs) you're totally fine. But, oh gosh, get this woman an editor. But more this sense of, um, like with Joey, when he was little, I remember him having like this Sunday school teacher who would have them do like art um, or a teacher who would have them do art. Um, to explore kind of spiritual things and whatever else. And she, one day she called me into this classroom and she, and I mean, she was like, well, I need to talk to you about what Joe drew for prayer. And I mean, anybody who has kids kind of knows, well, this can go like one of two ways, you know, <laughs> you're sort of <laughs> expecting one particular thing, maybe, um, you know, and so she, we sat down and she showed me all the pictures that the kids had kind of drawn. And they were all sorts of things that you would normally see if you talked about prayer with a bunch of six and seven year olds. It was, you know, things like the pastor at the front praying or sitting around the table at supper time with, you know, saying grace or their mom or dad or, you know, granny sitting beside their bed at night. You know, I remember like this one kid wrote out like a list of all the things he was hoping God would give him, like Santa, because he thought it might count. Like he was like, Lego, iPad, you know. (laughs) But then she said, I wanted to show you what Joe drew. And she turned around this picture and Joey had drawn a picture of himself, like little red t-shirt, sticky up, you know, little hair. And he was sitting on our back deck and beside him was he had drawn a picture of Jesus, and you know it's Jesus because he got the blue sash, right? And I was just right, yeah, wow, <laughs> super happy that yeah, it wasn't yeah. like blonde, blue eyed Jesus. So that was good. But <laughs> good job, mom. And good job. so he, had, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll take any win we get. But there was this <laughs> sense of like the two of them sitting on our back deck, you know, sun in the corner, fluffy clouds, the whole thing. And he had drawn these little um, like cartoon bubbles, like you know when people are speaking to each other in a comic book. And he had written. Um, I love you, Jesus. And then Jesus saying, I love you, Joseph. And at the bottom, he had written, this is Joe and my Jesus. This is how we pray. And I remember, like, I took it home. I still have it up in my keepsake box. But it, that moment even came at another pivotal point for prayer for me of being like, oh, you also can just sit with Jesus. You can also just sit with Jesus and just allow yourself to be loved. And let yourself be loved. And that that maybe is the conversation we're really having all the time anyway. And so even in in moments like that, I feel like, you know, grandmothers, children, you know, there's just a million ways to learn how to pray and so many ways to be taught. But that's one that has stayed with me for a lot of years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so sweet. We're not going to cut that out. No. No. (laughs) Not happening. Um, we, we never cut anything out. We it just, is we just it is ironic. So. It is ironic the uh, the the small ecstatic prayer you prayed in the middle about getting an editor. Um, you were the editor for this book, Sarah, uh, of prayers. Um, and uh, it, I guess, I didn't know how badly I needed women and women of color to teach me how to pray until I read mm-hmm. this book. Um, I. Can you reflect on that decision? It was 
um, assuming conscious decision to include female voices in this book exclusively. Um, and what work do you, th- do you think, or do you see that doing? Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that, Matt. Thank you. I, um, I didn't necessarily start out with that as being the primary focus. Um, it was something that almost emerged rather organically, you know, through relationship and through um, even my own teachers at that time um, and now, you know, in terms of like who, who are the people who's, at whose feet I just want to sit and I want, I want to hear what they would say about prayer. I want to he- eavesdrop mm-hmm. even on their prayers. Uh, I want to borrow some language from them. I want to um, be emboldened by their courage and their bravery and their truth-telling. Um, and I want I, that it emerged and then it became one of the things that I was most proud of and I found incredibly powerful. I think especially because in a lot of our churches, um, people oftentimes don't get a glimpse into the prayers of women. Um, they can often be, you know, separated or set aside. I mean, I have, I have preached in churches where they have said, please don't pray at the end of this because we don't allow women to pray, you know, in church. I usually did anyway, because it turns out I have an eight wing and the Enneagram. (laughs) (laughs) I went well. (laughs) Lord, I want to pray right now for the man who told me I shouldn't pray. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. It was just like never got invited back. I don't know why, but <laughs> sorry. There was more this sense of um I don't know, even the gift of it. I felt really mm. privileged to receive. I mean, I remember a number of them coming across my desk and being like, This will be disruptive for mm. some folks. Some of these things will be disruptive for people to read or to hear or to understand that you get to pray this way, that that the very place you should be taking your anger, the very place you should be taking your grief, the very place you should be taking your sorrow is is to prayer. And these women are graciously embodying that and showing that. And that kind of honesty isn't usually in like the lady section of the bookstore, right? And so, (laughs) I mean, it, it ends up being this really powerful embodiment and gift, you know, right, right along the, the way itself. Right. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly happy about that. I'm really love, I really love how it came together. Um, and I am incredibly, um, grateful because all of these women did, they just, I mean, for, in so many cases, they just opened up a vein and just let out everything that we needed to see, or that, that was really even the cry of our own heart. Like I'm thinking of, um, the cry in the heart that I've heard from a number of folks over the years, I see like reflected in Lisa Sharon Harper's prayer for America, like just her lament, right? And her longing and even her grief and her despair over that. Just having that written down in a book of prayer not doesn't happen a whole lot anymore, right? You know, even the the prayers for when you don't know what, what you want to pray, or I'm thinking mm-hmm. of like Micah Boyette's prayer against efficiency, right? That, that being held in the slow hand of God. I mean, these are things that are not the name it and claim it sort of ways that I was, you know, initially introduced to prayer. Um, and yet they are exactly what my soul was longing for. And I think a lot of us are at this moment in time. We can't be in the midst of a collective apocalypse without needing to kind of sit with some of these big things and 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 recognize you those things belong in prayer as well. Mm-hmm. And these are good leaders and good guides, um, 
for that space if you're not even there yet yourself. We'll be right back. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Let's get back to the show. It's so important for us to be authentic and real and honest. And I I was not taught that in prayer growing up. And it's been the women in my life specifically, no offense against men, but it's been the women in my life who have modeled that in a really powerful way. And I think your book does that. But it reminds me, uh, I, had a, I have a group of friends that um, – we call ourselves the spiritual spa sisters uh, <laughs> because honestly, being with them is like good for the soul type mm. mentality. And um, and one of them was going through a very difficult thing. And without going into detail, she was super angry. And another one of them was like, well, let's get together and let you be angry and tell God that you're angry. And in my heart, I'm telling you, I was like, I don't know if this is a good idea, people. <laughs> <Right>? Like, you know. <laughs> so true. Uh, and we went and got plates and we brought them in her living room in her rubbish bin. And she smashed plates hmm. in the middle of her living room for like 30 minutes. And we all sobbed oh in, in the grief and the pain oh. of what she was going oh. through. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most powerful prayer moments of my life because there was real like honesty mm-hmm. and it was authentic and it wasn't churchy words and it wasn't like, let me get this right. It was, here's my whole heart, God. Yeah. And I think the prayers in your book are similar to that. It's just raw. And I think we need that. And with the per- permission to pray that way and to be taught to pray that way mm-hmm. is really beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful, Christy. What a beautiful thing to do even yeah. within community and with one another and to bless that. Yeah. I think that's part of, you know, some of the stuff that we hope for is is that we're not in it alone, right? Mm-hmm. That you you can bear yeah. bear that sort of witness with one another, that you can be in even in covenant together in those moments. Mm-hmm. Like you don't there's no part of you that doesn't belong there. And so mm-hmm. God, what a gift. Right? That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, we're almost out of time, but I do want to I do want to double click on this um, idea of, you know, being able to pray kind of what's in our hearts. Um, And Matt, you mentioned, you know, this book is written by women and women of color. One of the prayers, at least one of them, several of them have gotten some attention. I'm sure you're aware. Um, But one of them is a prayer from a a prayer of a weary black woman. And uh, it starts out kind of like as an imprecatory, like I'm, I'm drawing attention to this because it's very similar to an imprecatory psalm, right? These are, I don't know how, what the percentages of the, of the psalms, but like we're surprised to see these things. And then, you know, Christy, you could talk about being in solidarity with your friend uh, who was angry and upset. Um, but oftentimes, I think what I've seen on social media and other places is that when black women especially black women, can like voice their lament, voice their imprecatory desires, right? Um, in, in prayer, 
that oftentimes the the backlash is is quite uh, intense, um, uh, mostly mm-hmm. from white people, mostly from white men. Um, and so I just wonder if you could share, um, maybe from your perspective, why it's important to include voices like this, and maybe how. Uh, maybe specifically for white men. I'm asking you to help me, maybe, Sarah. Um, <laughs> like, how, how, can, how can white people, and white men especially, enter into or stand in solidarity with or pray even with, you know, this prayer of a weary black woman, for example? Like, how, how do we engage with this in, in ways that are not harmful? Like, a lot of the more extreme responses to this have been, you know, just, they called it racist and, you know, like it was really ridiculous, but, but how, like, how do we, when we initially feel, you know, the, the weight of those words, I think it's natural. I mean, I, I feel like, oh gosh, like yikes, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, give us, give us some clues into like how to respond to, to that kind of thing and and why it's important to include those voices. Yeah, I mean, we definitely did have, you know, kind of a, a big viral backlash organized against the book, and particularly against Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes um, mm-hmm. for her prayer. Yeah. Um, and and it was, you know, a scary time, right? I mean, people, yeah. you know, it's it was a scary time for her in, in particular, and, and, you know, it, it took a tremendous amount of courage. Um and she has written um, since then about why she wrote the prayer she wrote. Um, I can send you the links if you want to share them with your folks if they want to read a little bit more oh, about yeah. it along the way. That would be great. Yeah, we'll put those um, in the show notes. Yeah, no, if it's if it's helpful, then 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 that's great. But I think that there was this sense of um, it in in so many ways that sort of faithful. An honest lament, which is as you said, very modeled on scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, was in itself just this huge gift of intimacy and vulnerability, I think, to the church, right? And so um, that backlash that she faced um, and that the book faced, I think, was almost like proof of why it was so necessary and why something that was so prophetic and powerful and potent um, was necessary. And um, I think because, again, you know, like our – Dr. Walker Barnes, incredible leader, incredible writer, um, just such a beautiful presence, such a beautiful spirit. And when she brings that full weariness and anger over the very real sins of racism to God, right, that she is is bringing that to God. She's bringing her rage and her anger, even her exhaustion, her uh, suffering, even even her her hopes to get out of or, or be given a pass on loving our neighbors when when they are oppressing and, and marginalizing her as a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet even in that prayer, we're witnessing her kind of turn towards everything that she knows to be true about God's call to, yep. to justice and love, that she is turning towards trust. She is embodying a turn in the prayer towards hope and love, even when she is wounded and heartbroken. And so she's praising God, you know, for things like protection and for the ancestors and for, um, you know, being able to be part of this ministry at, um, uh, of uh, justice and reconciliation. Um, you know, and she even like really explicitly names the community that is surrounding her, that great cloud of witnesses 
to compel her forwards as she's like leaning into this biblical call to love our neighbors, even when it's painful in real time. And so to me, the backlash was like, okay, you, you took a sentence out of context and, and missed the whole ministry and sermon of what Mm -hmm. the whole thing is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I think that's the invitation for a lot of people. If it stirs up discomfort in you, if it stirs up, um, you know, a a feeling of um, wanting to attack or, or outrage or wanting to, or even feeling, um, you know, uh, some heat or, or some pain around that. I think that in itself often is an invitation from the Holy Spirit. Yes. That we need to pay attention to our discomfort. Yes. And if there is something yes. that is stirred up from reading the honest lament of a black woman over the sin of racism and her longing for Jesus to meet her in that pain, even as she's calling on her community and calling on the the, the ministry of Re- reconciliation and justice, calling on Jesus' call to love, um, that, that's a call you can echo. That's a call. Yes. That's a prayer you can jump in on. That's a prayer that you can yes. borrow language from, even if what you're grappling with is the discomfort or the call out or the, ooh, this didn't feel great. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Lean into that in prayer, right? And I think that even in that particular prayer, you receive language for it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it was a beautiful, um, I think, missed opportunity for a lot of folks um, to pray. Yeah. And I think she even said in the prayer, she was like, you're to pray and press on in love. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's our invitation, even if you're feeling discomfort over it. That's really well said, Sarah. I, I deeply appreciate that. I think what it what it made me realize is that I think like praying the imprecatory psalms is new for me. Um, yeah, they used to make me uncomfortable and just like, oh gosh, like I don't, you know, like man, I don't hate anybody that much. My goodness, you know. Um, and you so love learning, babies. You don't want to aggressive. smack their heads yeah, on rocks, right? You know, they're all so cute. They're <laughs> cute very aggressive. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but learning learning to pray those imprecatory psalms is new. Um, and as a white man who's sort of on the top of the heap as far as power goes, you know, in our current uh, cultural environment, like there has been, it has been an act of solidarity to to learn mm-hmm. to feel the anger of those who've been on the other side of that power. Um, and I think I think that's just a, another invitation for me. I'm just realizing, like, I never think of myself in the imprecatory psalms as the one who's being prayed against. But maybe I maybe I do represent that for some people, and that's that's actually okay for me. That's actually a good thing for me to reckon with, that I represent, mm-hmm. like the the object of an imprecatory psalm for a lot of people. And so part of my corporate repentance, again, you know, this on a big picture level, part of my corporate repentance is to embrace that voice, you know, of anger, and to embrace that voice of of lament and pain. Uh, as my own, you know, to say like, as far as it, as far as is possible for me, I'm going to step into solidarity with this pain um, mm-hmm. that I don't have to feel because I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I can opt out of it if I want. Um, and so mm-hmm. anyway, I, I appreciate you sharing all that. And I, I think it's a, it's a new way for me to pray and I'm, I'm learning. Yeah. Thank and you. you're helping. Thanks. The book, again, is called A Rhythm of Prayer, A Collection of Meditations for Renewal. It's a book to savor uh, and to dwell in, not to finish or uh, put, finish and put away. This is a book that you'll want to come back to over and over. Sarah, um, 
if people are intrigued, um, I assume a lot of our listeners are familiar with your work, but would you let us know kind of where they can find you on the World Wide Web? Where do you hang out? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you just head over to sarahbessie.com, you'll find links for everything, books and newsletter um, that I write, as well as Evolving Faith, which is, um, you know, an online community and a gathering and all the things, you know, for uh, folks who are maybe finding themselves in that wilderness season. Um, and I'm just Sarah Bessie kind of in all the places on social media, all the usual, not on Snapchat. I'm just too old for that crap, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> and TikTok. <laughs> I, I hear you. I'm Gen there's X. A, I'm, at I'm at my capacity. I'm at capacity. I've got no right. more. <laughs> I resonate with that. Yeah, yeah totally. Ben's still on MySpace. He doesn't get. Uh, yeah, I don't even get Twitter. No, he doesn't that. get Twitter. So, uh, uh, bless it, Sarah. All joking aside, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Christy, uh, you you got you got teenagers, right? I sure do. Is it one or two? I got two. I'm about to be three. Oh my goodness! And one's a your oldest is a boy, and then yep. your second is a, a girl. Girl, mm-hmm. and then the third is girl. Will be a girl. So you're about ready to have two teenage girls. Yes. Oh goodness! All right. Well, let me help you out. Do you know why teenage girls only walk in groups of three, five, and seven? No. Because why they literally can't even. Ah. That's a good one. That's, <laughs> I'm going to repeat that one. Yeah. I told my 10-year-old girl yeah. that joke, and she didn't even roll her eyes at me. No, She just looked on. at me and then, like, slid her eyes away. Like, <laughs> it's not even wasn't worth a, even worth a full going roll. Up. Look, it's a, <laughs> a half roll. It is a rough crowd in this house. If I get a laugh out of either my wife or my daughter, like, yeah. I would, I know I'm ready for Sunday Night Live. It's just like, that's how wow. rough this crowd is here. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, like oh, that's, man, uh, I feel like that's good for you, though, man. It's good for you. I'm happy for you about that. You know, <laughs> secretly, secretly, I relish being underappreciated. <laughs> How do I know who I am if people didn't appreciate me? Oh, man. Enneagram 4 stuff. <laughs> <sighs> just vibing, you know? Mm-hmm. Just vibing. All right, everybody. That's what I mean. That's why it's good for you. Until next time. Until next time, see you next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as our email most fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful to join us go to gravityleadership.com slash join our podcast is produced by ben sternke and matt tebby aaron sternke edits and mixes the show you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.